of all the things that Christmas is, at first it is terrifying. At least that's what we find time and again throughout the sacred story as we hear that refrain of Advent, do not fear, because it was a challenging time. It was so socially, it was so politically, there were so many people who were feeling far from power, who were marginalized, who were even feeling off on the edges of God's activity in the world. There were people experiencing scandal and crisis in the grip of a murderous and maniacal ruler. There was conflict and tension raging in the very regions where today we see such destructive warfare, such heart-rending violence. And so we can understand why so many people jump with a start, with a fright, throughout the moments that lead up to Jesus' birth. We understand this because it surrounds us too. And many of us do the same. Even if we are never startled by an angel in our lives, we know fear, don't we? And so Christmas begins there for us too. Quite literally, quite immediately. I remember some years ago reflecting on this through one of the best-loved readings of the story. It was not in church, but in the heartwarming classic that some of you may have watched already this year, that is A Charlie Brown Christmas. And there's that moment where Linus tells us all what Christmas is all about, right? And so Linus is reading from Luke 2. He's actually reciting it as though it's memorized. And there's that same cadence and inflection and rapid motion every year. And some of us can hear it now. But as familiar as it is, perhaps you've seen an article that's made the rounds seasonally each year in recent years by writer and musician Jason Sorosky. And it describes how for all these years, there might be something that we never noticed about that climactic scene in the television classic. Because right in the middle of reciting the story, Linus does something remarkable. You remember he drops his blanket. Linus is known for this. He's best known, actually, for this characteristic of his worn blue security blanket. He's never seen without it. Throughout the story of Peanuts and in various comic strips, various characters, they try to separate Linus from his blanket, but to no avail, he simply refuses to give it up, except in this one moment when he just drops it, right in the middle of his reading of the birth of Jesus from Luke 2, and he does so at a particular moment, right as he recites the words of the angel in verse 10, and the angel said unto them, fear not. He drops it. Suddenly, both of his hands are free. Suddenly, he's animating the story with his motions, with all of his energy, with all of his passion. The story of Jesus' birth, you see. It separates him from his fear. And how we are blanketed in it. If fear suggests conflict, division, violence, then we know fear. If it means anxiety and fractured relationships and vulnerability, well then, we have it wrapped around our shoulders. Fear is what we read about. It's what our news reports are filled up with. Fear is what many of our prayers about if we pray, and if we have ceased to pray. 
Chances are that fear is part of what has kept us from believing that it makes any difference at all. We need to believe that this coming can make a difference. We need to believe that it can help us to live out of our hopes and our loves, not only out of our fears. We need to hear these words that echo throughout the story. Do not be afraid. And particularly this morning on this second Sunday of Advent, because this is the day that we hear the jarring and demanding words of John the Baptist when he says, prepare the way of the Lord. And John's message now, as it was then, it is a message about change. What the Bible calls repentance, a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And the truth is that many of us fear this. Many of us fear change. We have our lives fairly sketched out with so much measured and controlled and our reserves of strength maxed out. So we're not eager to hear that there is something more being asked of us. Everyone experiences their own level of this fear of change. Neuroscience has shown that uncertainty registers similarly to failure in our brains. And studies even suggest that most of us prefer a predictable negative outcome over an uncertain one. So much so that people will frequently choose the status quo, the way things are, even when change is the healthier choice. And so people might stay in an unhealthy relationship, for instance, because of the fear of the alternative. Or they might stay in a draining job for fear of starting something new. Or they might stay in a pattern of living or thinking or believing for fear of what it could mean to admit that we were wrong. Or fear of what it could mean to imagine something different than what has shaped our lives all these years. Change brings great discomfort and uncertainty. As we know, any time that we've experienced interruption or challenge. And so if we're preparing for anything at Christmas, it is comfort and reassurance, isn't it? Our days have been jarring and unsettled enough already. And yet it's into our Advent that the voice of John booms out once again. Prepare the way of the Lord. And every year, the second Sunday of Advent, it takes us out to the wilderness to John out where eventually Jesus will make his first public appearance. These two, Jesus and John, they have been connected since John leapt in his mother's womb at the news of the coming Messiah. But then this is more than childhood history. This is more than family connection between the two of them. Jesus associates in a deliberate way with John. Jesus is a full-grown adult. In beginning his public ministry. He chooses to connect his message, his vision of the kingdom, his promise of new life, to connect all of it to this wilderness prophet, John, the wild man out on the edges, to connect it to John's cry to repent for the kingdom is near, to connect himself to this vision of God drawing near to the world and causing things to change. Now John is not the first to shout out this message. The prophet Isaiah before him had thundered out too. The prophet of Advent, Isaiah, in our Old Testament lesson today, is the first to proclaim, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And in Isaiah's vision, the landscape itself begins to change when Messiah comes. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. Elsewhere, the prophet envisions that wolf shall live with the lamb, that leopards shall lie down with kids, that calf and lion and fatling together 
And that from a dead, lifeless stump, there will sprout out a shoot from which such a vision can branch. Where we have only known death, Isaiah envisions new life. Where we have only known the way things are, the prophet imagines God striking the earth, reorienting relationships, bringing righteousness to the wicked, and justice to those who have known so much suffering. And after Isaiah, it was a while until a voice like that was heard in Israel again. But then, here comes John, appearing out in the wilderness where Isaiah imagined it. And Jesus will come to associate himself with this prophet, with this message, in this place. It is his first act. It is his best chance to declare his priorities, his agenda. It is so important that all four of the Gospels that give various tellings of the story, they describe this. And of all people, he comes out to John. Of all waters, he goes to the Jordan River. Of all places, he goes to the wilderness. And of all messages... He amplifies this voice of repentance and change. The Gospel of Mark from which we read today, the oldest of our Gospels, it begins there in fact. This is the beginning of the good news, Mark says at the very start. And for Mark, that news starts not with angelic pronouncements, not with expectant journeys, not with a flash against the sky. It starts with John. Because such change is absolutely core to what it means for God to come to earth through Jesus Christ. We hear this challenging word of change on the second Sunday of Advent, which we have claimed as a peace Sunday. And we light a candle, we hang a banner, we pray for peace. But what are we praying for really, we might ask? What kind of peace do we hope will flicker in the shadows of our world? Because sometimes I think we're praying for something more like tranquility. We might want John and Isaiah to turn it down a notch. They're too loud, too long, too disruptive. Many of us are trying to be comfortable and undisturbed in this season above all seasons. But if it's tranquility or serenity that we seek, well then we're going to need a voice that is different than John's. Or how often are we praying for peace, but we're longing really for catharsis, some sort of release from the troubles that we've known, or a cleansing of our emotions that can help us feel renewed without necessarily changing much at all. And if that's what we're after, that's all well and good, but we're going to need a message that is different than repent for the kingdom is near to you. And then I wonder how often we light a candle of peace, but what flickers in us is something more like nostalgia, a longing for the sense of a simpler idyllic candlelit time. Hearkening back to memories joyous and full and overwhelmed with the beauty of emotion and assurance. All good things, all gifts to be sure. And yet, if we want the warmth and the glow of the open fire, well then we're going to need a setting that is different than the wilderness, aren't we? Yes, if Jesus wasn't so insistent in leading us out to John, if Advent didn't always come back around and amplify this voice crying out for change, well then we might settle for quiet and serenity, nostalgia and warmth and mistake these good things for the far greater and more demanding thing that we truly need and that we come to know as the Prince of Peace. But thankfully, there are prophets in our ear insisting and reminding us that the peace that we long for, it is not inevitable. We have to work for it. 
We have to shout in wilderness places. We have to work to straighten paths. We have to take risks with our lives to prepare the way. We have to listen to those proclaiming repentance, and we have to consider how it calls us to change. This is what was asked of me a few years ago. It was in a Wednesday night small group, a round table Bible study here at First Baptist. We were studying the biblical texts for Advent together, and we were looking for that collective wisdom that can occur when all of our voices are heard and all of our insights are shared. And as we studied these texts of the prophets, these voices crying out in the wilderness, I remember how dear brother and church member Jim Plyler posed the question, Alan, what do you think we'd be doing differently this year if we really believed that Jesus was coming? Well, wouldn't we prepare the way? Wouldn't we make the paths straight? Wouldn't we work to make hills low and valleys lifted? Wouldn't we smooth out the places where inequity prevails in our world? Wouldn't we reimagine the places where injustice holds its grip? Wouldn't we become restless with the way things are? And wouldn't we envision again the way things can yet be? And wouldn't we do so even in ourselves, even if it asks us to change? After all, don't forget, Advent asks nothing of us that wasn't demonstrated first by God's own self. Because incarnation itself, the story of Jesus coming to earth, of God revealing God's self through the person of this man who grew in Nazareth. It is a story foundationally of change. Jesus, in very nature God, but didn't try to grasp it, didn't try to hold it tightly or to merely settle into it, but instead became nothing. He didn't cling to it around his shoulders, keeping him safe. No, he took a different form, the form of a servant. He was born in human likeness. He endured human suffering. The Lutheran minister and poet R.S. Thomas envisions it this way in his beautiful Advent poem that I return to each and every year entitled The Coming. He writes this, God held in God's hand a small globe. And look, God said, and the sun looked. And far off, the sun saw the world in all of its brokenness. There were people there who were stretching out their arms as though they were reaching for a vanished spring to somehow return. And the sun watched them, Thomas writes. And then the sun said, let me go there. Oh, Jesus could have stayed where he was. All settled, all stable amidst so much peace and tranquility and assurance that is known at the side of God, but he looked at us and the son said, that's where I want to be. Let me go right into the middle of that pain, that suffering, and it must have been fearsome, maybe at times. It was terrifying. And yet God in Christ came to show us what we can yet be. And time, and again, this is the story. It is a story of change. It's a frightened, unexpected young woman who accepts that she has become a bearer of God. It is a frustrated father-to-be who finds this new sense of identity and call. It is trembling farm workers who become witnesses to a miracle unaware. 
And it is all of us with our fears and our uncertainties invited to become part of the very movement of God. But it doesn't happen if everything remains the same. It doesn't happen if the road stays crooked and if the way isn't smooth. And we can't be free to experience it if we just stay wrapped and blanketed in all that we've known and assumed. And if we are really anticipating the coming of Christ this season, then we are inviting God to change us. So do not fear this change. Do not be afraid as Advent leads us out to John. And hear again his words. Prepare the way of the Lord and hear behind them even more. The question for this Christmas, are you willing for your world, your lives, to be changed by God? And may it be so. Amen. We come now to respond to the gospel as it has been proclaimed in this place in so many ways and through so many voices today. And part of our response invites us to consider in our own hearts how we are preparing the way, how we are responding to the hope and the peace that we know through Jesus' coming. But if your response today is public, this is a time in our service where we receive new members, where we welcome those who have things they want to profess about their own journey of faith. Maybe someone who wants to declare that they want to be baptized for the first time. And if that describes you, know that I'll be down front as a representative of this congregation and would love to meet you as we all stand and sing together our hymn of commitment, Hark the Herald Angels Sing.
As we come to a time of offering, we want to remind you that gifts can be placed in the offering plate or made online at fbcgso.org give. And if you are a guest with us today, we want to welcome you again. There are connection cards in the pew in front of you, and we hope you'll take a moment to just fill one out and place it in the offering plate as it is passed. Now may we pray. Dear God, we are so thankful for all the many ways you have blessed us. Please help us to look beyond ourselves as we give our offerings. Help us to give with the needs of the church and the needs of our worldwide neighbors in mind. Oh, dear God, we yearn for peace. Today, we pray that through our offerings and through our actions, we can do our own part to bring about peace on earth. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who showed us how to live in peace. Amen.
do express such joyous thanks for all who have led us so beautifully today. In particular, let us say again our thanks to our youth and our children who through music and rhythm and visuals uh, have reminded us again how all of us participate in this story. And youth and children uh, know how much we are grateful for your gifts and how much we want you to know uh, how the love and the peace of Jesus is here more because of your lives. And we are so grateful for the ways you've led us today. Our thanks again to our youth and children and their leaders and all who have led us throughout worship. Uh, sometimes we gather here and we have a, a jarring reminder that we do not gather here in isolation or security or independent from the needs of our world. Sometimes they show up right in our midst and so we remember that and we continue to hold Susan Spell in our hearts and her family. Be assured we will be looking in and checking in on her and on the family throughout this day and we'll certainly share any updates. But so grateful again for the great care for all of you who were a part of that uh, and for the promise of some hopeful direction as she was leaving and that uh, she was doing much better. So we give thanks to God for that. We have the chance to continue in our worship and in our living in so many ways, living out what we have experienced here. I would remind you in particular of Advent Vespers this Wednesday night, our preacher, Amelia Britt, um, a good meal beforehand, activities for all ages. We'd love to see you be a part of that this Wednesday night. And then would also remind that after worship today, we will be gathering downstairs in our fellowship hall, which is accessible by the stairways and the elevator as you leave, or out the back and down. We'll have a brief time um, of, of fellowship there. We do have some snacks as incentive for staying that are downstairs, some, some uh, nice pre-lunch holdovers for you uh, if you would like to join downstairs. And then we will have uh, what should be a relatively brief church conference, but it does include the very important work that occurs in December of approving our budget and ministry plan. Grateful to our finance committee and deacons that have already had much discussion about that. It reflects so much careful planning and hope for the year ahead. And with that, I will also say uh, that we want to celebrate and give thanks publicly in this forum uh, for a November that included an appeal from our finance committee to be attentive to the church's finances that expressed in many direct ways the needs of our church. And our congregation responded overwhelmingly with generosity. And we are so grateful for that, for the reminder of the strength that we share in community and for what that makes possible in our ministry and in our planning. And so thank you to all. And as we look towards the end of the year, please remember the opportunities we have to be generous. In addition to finishing the year strong as a church and in our church budget, we also have special offering opportunities. We are collecting the offering for global missions through our partners at CBF. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll be collecting an offering to support Baptist Women in Ministry that is an advocacy organization uh, that works to promote egalitarianism throughout Baptist churches, uh, an organization that means a lot to our church and gives us a chance to uh, project what we know is true, and that is how vital women are to carrying this good news, both in the story of Jesus' coming and in the ways that that is true today. And so um, remember those opportunities to give and to be generous as a church in the days ahead. Uh, we also give thanks to God today for the great gift of one who comes to join us as a church member. Shelby Moss comes, friends, and uh, Shelby walked up to me, and I sort of had to double take, like, wait, oh yeah, you're not a member yet, Shelby. Uh, Shelby is so much a part of the life of our church, even today, was directing our youngest voices. Uh, Shelby is a music educator who was part of our McCormick Ministry internship program here throughout her years at UNCG, has remained a vital part of our congregation in so many ways through friendship and fellowship and service and leadership, and what a thrill to be able to formalize that 
and to say that in a formal way, uh, we are church family, that we are committed to walk this road together, uh, that we get to receive all of the fullness of Shelby's gifts into the life of our church. And Shelby, we want you to know how much this means to us as a church and how it makes us more than we could be without you and more than we were just a few moments ago. And so if you would affirm that, would you say thanks be to God? Thanks be to God indeed. We celebrate this. And you'll want to come by and share that with Shelby personally as you are leaving today. Uh, and so come by and share a word uh, of welcome with her. But now, as we prepare to go from this place out into this world, equipped with all that we have experienced together, strengthened by our common vision of peace, I would invite you, as you are able and comfortable, to stand for a word of blessing and benediction. Go in peace, friends, and as you go, it is so important that you remember once again just who you are, that you are daughters and sons and beloved children of a living God, and that you are friends and companions of Jesus, our Christ, and that through the power of the Spirit, the very peace of Christ is at loose in this world, and it is so through your very lives. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.